0: Now, an Anglo-Irish air defence agreement has come to light which has been in place, it appears, since the early 1950s as a result of heightened tensions due to the Cold War. Uh, The pact, which apparently still stands, permits British aircraft to operate in Irish airspace and even to use lethal force uh, against uh, those, for example, who might hijack an airliner. Now, to uh, talk about all of this, I'm joined by retired Lieutenant Colonel and Airport and Safety Auditor Kevin Byrne and by retired Brigadier General with the Defence Forces, Jerry Hearn. Good morning, and welcome to you both. Um, so we'll start with you, Kevin. Were you aware in the Air Corps of this agreement?
1: No, no, indeed not. It was a big surprise. I only discovered firstly uh, it was discussed some years ago. The sort of the story leaked out as such. But I did speak to a number of very senior officers asking did they know, and I spoke to a general or two and a couple of colonels, and they said no. It was understood that this might have been between civil servants at that very high level. Uh, because of course you know Irish airspace just to get it clear is our land and, and our sea area so it's territorial waters um, and the sea uh, the sea area out to that far and it's vertically unlimited so you can control your own space and that's always been the agreement in place so we are supposed to control what flies through and mm. above us for all times but really we, we haven't done that for quite a while
0: Yeah now presumably um, in the classrooms uh, down at Casement Airdrome there were uh, discussions war gaming if you like about What would happen if some aircraft, uh, alien aircraft, came into the Irish airspace, what the Irish Air Corps, as it was then, would actually do?
1: And there's not a lot it could do because even then, uh, I, I remember a case where a 747, the jumbo jet, had a problem with the uh, an engine, that, you know, it was was lost, and the aircraft returned to Dublin Airport. And there was a focal magister somewhere close by, and the uh, the aircraft said, "Do you want to hand? We we'll go and look." And, and the, the captain put him down, unfortunately, by saying, um, "You know, Captain, you're not going to catch us. We're going too fast with three engines." You know, so it was a bit of a put down from that point of view. The other point about controlling airspace, and this comes into the case with um, Ukraine, for example, when the Missiles and drones are sent in. You need a full-time air defence radar, which is not you know, confined to secondary surveillance radar, which is what we use for the air traffic system over our airspace at the moment. And we don't have that. And that's quite expensive to use. It can be used. Other nations in Europe do it, of course. And you can protect your airspace in that regard. And then you put in Mm -hmm. air defence on the ground as well as air defence in the air.
0: Now, you actually did a course uh, almost two decades ago with the RAF. Did they mention in passing that they were minding us
1: no it was a strange one we did it was a fabulous course a short course of three weeks at the air defence executive course I, I mentioned it before in your programme with the Royal Air Force in the fighter control school in the UK and we spent about 1200 miles on the road visiting the various installations the AWACS aircraft the industry where they're making the aircraft and that kind of thing and there were social occasions too. We'd have a drink with them at night, out and about in different messes and different air bases. And not once did the squadron leader or the flight lieutenant mention this. It was a course for foreigners. No RAF people that were members of the course, but they didn't hint at it once, which on mature reflection makes me think they didn't know about it because they would have at least hinted at it because most of the courses under Chatham House rules where you don't discuss great things in, in, in detail, you know, when you come yeah, home that regard. But there
0: would have been, so, I suspect, friendly ribbing. About yeah. you, you yeah. chaps in Ireland, you can't mind yourselves. But happily, yeah. we are yeah. here. Uh, we're ready yeah. to scramble. Uh, there I would think- have been that kind of teasing between airmen.
1: Indeed, and we looked at aircraft which do that job, you know, the quick, rel- quick quick reaction alert, the QRA, as they call it. These are aircraft which are used on a, on a weekly basis to look at stuff, you know, that's coming in off the coast, for example, uh, Russian airplanes off Scotland, for example. We looked at these, and it was never mentioned, by the way, these can go into your airspace and look after your, your, your needs as well. So I think at that level, they didn't know. So I think this has been a remarkably secret agreement. And as an ordinary citizen now, I think it's a shame we can't discuss this in Doyle Air is the kind of thing the citizens need to know about our defence pacts with other countries. We need to know, we deserve to know and there's no reason to keep it secret at this late stage in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Um, under EU rules you're allowed to make deals with uh, fellow EU members and indeed with third countries if you've yes. got an area of concern. Now, I don't know whether it might be agriculture or fisheries or industry or internet safety or whatever it might indeed. be um, but you can do those side deals in if you like. So there's nothing in EU law that prohibits this kind of uh, informal, if that's what it is, defence arrangement. But you'd like to think that, uh, you know, there are some sort of rules of engagement laid down.
1: Indeed. And and by the way, this isn't sort of, we're not discussing it in, in you know, an academic vacuum as such, because on a regular basis or an irregular basis, Russian Tupolev, TU-142 bears take off, from Murmansk. They fly north around uh, Norway at various altitudes. The Norwegians keep tabs on them with their F-16s. They hand over over the North uh, Sea to the RAF out of Scotland. And in, you know, in a number of years ago the RAF sent out refuelers so the aircraft they flew from Scotland could fly down off the west coast of Ireland completely clear of our airspace but keeping tabs on aircraft like that which were flying down towards Angola, a strange place to go, uh, and they were also then monitored by the uh, the Spanish and, uh, and the French off the off the Bay of Biscay. So. There are agents out there who do these things just to see what reactions they get. And they mm-hmm. do it from time to time. And we're part and parcel of it, whether we like to be involved or not. Yeah.
0: Now, the, the idea of engaging, and we'll talk to uh, the retired Brigadier General Geragher in, in a moment about this. But, uh, Kevin, given all of your uh, skills in um, monitoring what goes on in airports yeah. and in airspaces, uh, you'd imagine that the eye in the sky, the satellite, might do a lot of this work anyway.
1: Well, it does to some extent, but but satellites aren't the perfect result. You know, you need, uh, you need a lot of them. You need people who can monitor them like that. Now, there are huge surveillance systems in Europe, and we've seen some of them in the UK, and they do keep tabs on as much as they can. But there are people who'd slip through, you know, and... Uh, if, if there's an enemy, in inverted commas, you know, trying to test you and see you, you have to be able to react to that and uh, you have to be able to war game it. The disappointing part about this, if I may make the point, is that if the defense forces here don't know what the war game might be about, in other words, if there's a plan in place, how do you expect the military people to plan for something about which they're not you know, not aware? If it's such a secret document, it's with the civil service, not with the military at the highest levels. You can't expect the director of operations to plan for it. You can't expect the U.C. Air Corps to have a plan. In place and yet airspace is the business of the Defence Force as is the sea space
0: Yeah, now I'm wondering uh, you know, when you reach a certain level in the Defence Forces, do they call you in? A bit like when a new President of the United States is inaugurated they call them in and they say, these are the nuclear codes, this is what you do da 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 maybe it happens at a very senior level. Um, Jerry Hearn, retired Brigadier General, did you know?
2: I certainly didn't know officially, Pat. Um, I was certainly a party to informal conversations at coffee breaks and uh, in breaks from meetings uh, about the possibility of this or the un- anecdotal evidence that it existed. Uh, but certainly I was never briefed officially or or. or, or into a conference that such an agreement exists.
0: So you didn't know at a very senior level in the Defence Forces. So you're wondering, you know, who calls the RAF in when, as they have had to do, come into our airspace to do us a favour of some kind? Who actually makes that call? Is it the Minister?
2: My suspicion is that uh, if it's a standing agreement of some sort, do they call themselves in? Because, I mean, you're talking about seconds and minutes here to actually uh, scramble these aircraft from Lossiemouth up in Scotland or from Coningsboro in Lincolnshire. Uh, so therefore, I don't think there's any time for for, for trying to track down a minister. Um, so I, I'm not so sure whether there's any uh, contact uh, in real time if a situation like this arises. My own belief is that there probably isn't. The time wouldn't allow for it.
0: So then the, the question arises because uh, we've been told we can't with our current radar resources uh, detect aircraft that have turned off their transponders um, presumably the, the the British can with their sophisticated air defence radar, they can but when they come into our airspace do they also turn off their transponders? Because otherwise air traffic control would have to have a chat with them.
2: Obviously, as I said, uh, it's it's long been known that we've no primary radar here in Ireland, um, despite all the conversations in the recent years to acquire it, it still hasn't happened. So therefore, I mean, there's lots of people, certainly the, the, the Russian bombers off the coast are, are flying uh, with the transponders turned off. And um, I'm, not, I'm not sure, uh, maybe Kevin would know as to whether the RAF and the Inter-Irish Airspace have or have not their transponders turned on or off.
0: Okay, Kevin, I mean, you were an air traffic controller yourself. So what, what happens then if they do have to scramble and come into our airspace, uh, uh, you know, either a, a civilian emergency or yes, perhaps yeah. more likely yeah. one of these uh, military incursions? Uh, do they have to talk to air traffic control?
1: they'd have to but there's a problem there and we had that at the air shows in which you or i involved many many years ago because they, they, they do control each other on different frequencies uh, the fighter controllers use uh, UHF that's ultra high frequency whereas most air traffic controllers in the civil system use VHF now usually they would have a box so you'd have to if there was a pursuit for example into Irish airspace or some kind of RAF incursion as it were you'd have to talk to air traffic control because the airspace is just so busy first of all 85-90% of the traffic across the Atlantic goes through Irish controlled airspace airspace and of course we have our own terminal airspace you know looking after Cork, Shannon and particularly Dublin which has been very busy of late so they'd have to speak to them where they would go though they would track the aircraft on their own airborne flight radar I think so that's, that's how it works they've got very sophisticated radars and they, they work for over 100 you know, nautical miles and that kind of thing so if you're inviting them in or if they're coming in on the ministerial order or whoever it's done they'd have to be speaking to some extent to yeah. on one of their boxes to the air traffic control system here otherwise there'd be chaos and serious danger and uh, danger of collision. Yeah. So I,
0: I just wonder then how the secret was kept, because uh, different air traffic controllers would be saying, "Oh,
1: that's right." You know, now, the RAF expect- were in today. Yeah. Uh, I suspect from a conversation I had with uh, another retired regular General, uh, Nuttjair, uh, that there was some kind of uh, codicil, some secret agreement with the Irish Aviation Authority that would do. But again, I, I don't know. It's, it's well above my pay grade, as they say. But if it is the case, it's very strange not to involve the air traffic services of the Air Corps and or the Air Corps itself. I mean, you're, you're talking about one state agency not discussing things with another. It's a very strange conundrum. That's how I'd express, uh, express it. And I would hope it would come to some kind of, you know, public end at this stage where we're... we're, we're Sure enough, to know now what the real world looks like, and I think we could handle the truth. Okay.
0: And, and, Ger, did you ever come across uh, any other senior officer who had seen this agreement or had a copy of it?
2: Well, it was suggested to me once, uh, very much informally, in a, in a walk around, in a break in a meeting, that perhaps uh, he may have he may have seen it. He insisted on seeing it. I mean, you have to remember, Pat, that, I mean, it's an important point to point this out <clears throat> that the. The officer in command of the air corps his legal title is the general officer commanding the air corps and director of military aviation so if there's an agreement in place that the defense forces and particularly general officer commanding the air corps and director of military aviation is not a party to as kevin rightly points out that's that's a recipe for chaos in, in, in irish airspace and uh, i think we are mature enough as a state and our citizens are mature enough as a people for this conversation to take place and for us not being kept in the dark i mean it must be remembered that, uh, you know, in our constitution, which is not an a la carte uh, menu, uh, is that in, in Article Twenty Nine Five One it states categorically, and I'm reading here, every international agreement, to which state becomes a party, shall be laid before Dáil Éireann. Okay,
0: Okay, and, and this one certainly has not. I suppose, uh, you know, how informal it is, and can you have informal do-us-a-favour kind of arrangements that are not enshrined in law?
2: As I said, the wording of the Constitution says every international agreement. It doesn't say treaty, Pat. It says mm. agreement. You know, I mean, I'm wondering: are, are the people who are replying to parliamentary questions on this are they being Jesuitical on these issues, uh, and, and 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 having these legal arguments around wording? But as I said, uh, Article 29.51 uh, t- says agreement. It doesn't say treaty, mm. and uh, and all. I mean, in in in, in, the, in, in past answers to parliamentary questions. I mean, it was suggested that if there was a a treaty, it would be laid before Dáil Aaron and would be lodged with the United Nations in New York. Mm -hmm. So therefore, uh, again, I'm just wondering whether this is being Jesuitical in in legal argument and uh, in order to actually hide the fact that such an agreement does exist. And uh, perhaps this agreement took place. I I mean, I've heard anecdotally, and again, I uh, emphasize anecdotally, that it's an agreement that was entered into with the Department of Defense, the Department of Foreign Affairs, and uh, the Irish Aviation Authority. I I only know this anecdotally.
0: So, Jarrett, what should happen now, since the cat, it appears, is out of the bag?
2: I think uh, the government and uh, and the state should uh, place trust in its citizens and uh, uh, inform them as to whether such an agreement um, is in place. When did it begin? What are the terms of it? And all the people in in official positions in Ireland, including the GOC and the Air Corps, have to remain aware of this in the interest of, 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 of... of passenger safety and air uh, traffic control and the passage of, 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 of civilian aircraft to Irish International Airspace.
0: Mm. Um, Kevin, the, the question of uh, you know telling the head of the Air Corps uh, what this deal was, uh, per- perhaps it's because the resources of the Air Corps are such that they would be an irrelevance in any action that would have to be taken. Why bother Project disturbing it. them?
1: because we, we, we have, as a as, as, as regular Jair has just shown, you know, we, his responsibility. You can't give people a responsibility in a particular job and then say, by the way, we're not going to tell you about this because you're an irrelevance. That doesn't make any sense, Pat. As, 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 as has just been said, we need to put this before our parliament, though, learned, and, and it can be discussed, and the citizens need to know from that point of view. And on another point, if I may just digress slightly, if an aircraft has to be shot down, you know, a hijacked aircraft heading for some particular location in, in the UK, and there's no secret about this, I don't think, it's the um, it's the Prime Minister who decides the places I saw had red telephones literally and you had an officer of Colonel Rank and the telephone would go directly to whatever phone the, the Prime Minister had and he or she would decide what is to happen to mm. this particular aircraft so it's a head of state level as far as they're concerned who makes this decision and it's done instantaneously mm. as much as they can because time time is of essence in Okay so, so no, rare basically the lessons of 9-11 and we know that
0: they did uh, shoot down uh, a passenger airliner uh, they did Didn't know where it was heading. One had hit the Pentagon. Two had hit uh, the buildings in New York. They didn't know where the fourth one was going, so they downed it, uh, killing all the passengers as well as the hijackers. So that's the kind of situation that could arise.
1: it's a terrible situation but at the moment we you know when an aircraft turns off its transponder as you have rightly pointed out we don't know what it's doing where it's going and uh, we you know we, we need to protect our, our, our people we can't do it at the moment and uh, you know if we i have no particular problem if others have agreed to help us in this particular matter because most of our aircraft as i say goes across the atlantic and or comes from europe but we do need to know we're mature enough as a as a nation and you know we're, we're powerful enough to decide we can you know agree with with what goes on like that mm-hmm. but keep Keeping a secret uh, from people who are in service in uniform is, doesn't make any sense to me because they can't plan properly for the protection of the nation.
0: I'll read out some of the text. We are the UK's back door. They would maintain a weather eye on our airspace, invited or not, and they would be ready to intervene to intercept any threat to themselves, invited or not. Of course, our military should be aware of it, but I'm not in the military and knowing the history of the UK... I just have guessed as much. Another one, the dogs in the street know we don't care of our own territorial waters. Uh, We are minded by the UK because we are the deliberate weak link on Western Europe. If and when Putin moves on us, we will be very grateful for any help. Uh, Another one, we should be grateful that the UK takes care of our military air requirements. We have neither the financial strength nor the military ability to ever contemplate the utterly unbelievable and unbearable costs involved in what could never be anything more than a vanity project for this country so that that question Ger, I mean when you look at our population on the island whatever it is 6.5 million now um, you know compared to the population of the island next to us which is uh, 70 million plus that the financial resources generated by such a population over there uh, swamps the kind of financial resources that we generate here yet our landmass is a significant fraction of the landmass of the island of Britain So we can never probably do enough to defend ourselves.
2: I'm always intrigued by this commentary uh, when this subject comes up. And, um, you know, if we're allegedly neutral um, and uh, up to to recently there was four um, European countries, uh, excluding Malta, who were neutral. I mean, obviously Finland has joined NATO. And um, just for the sake of what I'm about to say, I'll include uh, Finland in this. Austria, Switzerland, Finland and, 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 and Sweden. I mean, these four countries um, have um, significant resources, l- like ourselves. I mean, we were, uh, we we're a rich country in international uh, terms now. But, I mean, they seem to have no problem, you know, defending their sovereignty in terms of the requirements of being neutral in having the resources to do so. Ireland seems to believe that we won't have the money to do this. I mean, I'm not aware of, of, of any of those four countries, Austria, Switzerland, Finland or Sweden, under-resourcing their hospitals, under-resourcing their medical systems, uh, um, uh, under-resourcing their housing, but also being in a position to, um, uh, to protect their sovereignty on land, sea and air. This seems to be a hoary old chestnut that's raised continuously uh, in, in Ireland. There, there seems to be uh, this argument that we're not rich enough to do this. Yes, we are. It's a lack of political and, uh, and institutional will to actually do Uh, what's required to do so, so I don't personally buy into this uh, this issue that we can't afford it, we can trust an unwillingness to do so
0: all right. Um, some more comments coming in. I worked as an ATC, an air traffic controller in Dublin. During training, we were told that the UK would provide both air defence and SAR capabilities, if required, Kevin.
1: SAR capabilities? A uh, search and rescue, I think, uh, Pat, yes. OK. It's
0: simply a national disgrace that we've neither the radar nor the aircraft to police our own airspace, and the political class seems to have no interest in addressing the situation. Sean says, it's a scandal that we don't have a few fighter jets based at Shanahan. and and Dublin Uh, your guests both seem determined to look a gift horse in the mouth Um, another one whenever I hear people supporting Irish neutrality I always think of Jack Nicholson's speech in A Few Good Men we expect others to stand and watch uh, to stand watch rather while we sleep safe in our beds that's from Paul in Ennis Uh, final words uh, first of all to you Gerard
2: First of all, I'd like to say something about me, and I know I speak for myself and many of my colleagues serving in retired. Is that I have no particular interest in Ireland joining NATO. Just lest people say that this is is a punt for us to join NATO. What I my ambition as a retired military officer is that Ireland will become a truthful and resourced neutral.
0: Okay. That's, that is what you would like to see. It does mean defence spending in a, a significant way, but that's what is required in the modern era?
2: That's, what, that's, what, that's what's required of neutrality,
1: Okay.
0: And Kevin, your final
1: words? Well, just to say that, uh, again, I've no particular interest in joining NATO, but we should be able to defend ourselves as best we can. We have enough money and enough wherewithal to do so. And if there are agreements, uh, I've no particular problem with the RAF coming in to help us out in that regard, but at least bring it before Doyle, Aaron. Tell us about these agreements. uh, Bring them to Doyle and and show them to the UN as required. And, uh, you know, tell us that it's been done and it's done in our good name, because for years and years we work to defend this country as best we can.
0: All right. Uh, Kevin Byrne, retired, Lieutenant-Colonel, Airport and Safety Auditor and retired Brigadier General Jero Hearn, uh, thank you both very much. Uh, another comment, we have the money. If other smaller nations like Austria, Switzerland and even Bulgaria can police their own airspace, well then, so can we.
1: Your
2: chance to win big News Talks cash machine
0: We had a big winner on Friday when Mick Cudahy won a cool 75,000 euro so we've reloaded the machine and today it contains 10,826 euro and 68 cent to enter text play to 57557 then after 3 this afternoon we'll make a call if it happens to be to your phone answer within 5 rings tell us the total and you get the money the cost is 2 euro 50 plus your standard message rate is for over 18s only you're playing across the the Golad network of stations, full terms on newstalk.com. But do remember the amount: €10,826.68. Text play to 57557. Uh, More of the texts coming in. I was in the military in the 70s. It was an open secret that we would defend the Republic of Ireland then. Uh, There's a touch of tongue-in-cheek there. That's from Paul. He presumably was in the British military in the 70s. While the Russians send planes and naval vessels across our country and into our waters, who do we expect to monitor their suspicious activities? Our fishermen? Uh, 10 F-16s would cost $300 30 million each. Let's grow up. We had a surplus of 20 billion. Lots of people spending that money, as you know, over and over again. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.